Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. My mom used to play the radio while I fell asleep. Usually she turned it off once I conked out, but uh, sometimes she'd forget. And there you were. You know, whenever I heard your voice, I knew you're so far past my bedtime. I felt like I was getting away with something. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pekovich. This is episode number 298, currently playing in cinemas across the US and to be released in virtual cinemas on October 15 is 10 Minutes to Midnight, a vampire movie with a twist that stars horror legend Caroline Williams as Amy Marlowe. A veteran late-night radio host experiences a strange trip of a night from hell after she is bitten by a bat. To make things worse, a violent storm has a trap with nowhere to go. A horror movie both frightening and profound, 10 Minutes to Midnight explores themes eternal and relevant in a unique take on the vampire horror film and does so with a surreal style that is as intriguing as it is perplexing. And joining me now to talk about 10 Minutes to Midnight is the film's director, Eric Bloomquist. And the film star Caroline Williams, Eric and Caroline. I thank you both very much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Now, Eric, it's been almost 100 episodes since you and I last spoke about your film Long Lost. And um, look, talk about you know passage of time, etc. Things going past. It seems like it was just yesterday, actually, as we last spoke. And um, you have this new film that's coming out now. Um, once again, you wrote it with your brother Carson. Um, and it's a really interesting film in that the touchstone of the of the movie, the the launching pad for it, which a lot of people would jump on, is that it's a it's a vampire movie, but it's much more than that. I was just kind of curious though, in the process of creating your script, does it begin with an idea of creating a vampire movie and then it morphs into something else? Or do you have an idea exploring the other themes in the movie and then you just add that vampiric element in it to kind of have it as kind of like a launching pad to go into these other themes? This one began with trying to conjure a feeling that I had when uh, I was a kid and Carson was a kid when you felt like you stayed up just a little bit too late and you were channel flipping and you stumbled upon some episode of some anthology show that was a little bit too old for you and you just felt like you were up a little bit too late, but you were so ready to watch it anyway. So it started with that feeling and trying to recapture and recreate and re-energize that feeling for people. Um, and then I was very drawn to the concept of a radio station and Carson had been toying around with this idea of a one night, one location contained vampire thing. And this idea of time being enveloped and encapsulated in this radio station uh, seems to resonate really well with vampirism because age is such a big part of that. And then we had this thought of uh, an older female protagonist because I think in the diversity conversation, age is often excluded. So that was something that was really interesting to us to try to make somebody who wasn't a a generic, strong female character, but just was an interesting, flawed female character with with wisdom and mistakes and age and this weird non-nuclear family. Um, So all of that stuff married together to create what 10 Minutes to Midnight became. 
Caroline, when you receive the script, the script from these young filmmakers from Connecticut, what is the first thing that really jumps out to, at you when you read about uh, the, your character of Amy? Um, her love of music, her love of metal, rock and roll, uh, her lifestyle largely was uh, following bands and, and promoting the music and and living for the music for the most part. And that was really easy for me to relate to because, you know, in my younger years before I married and had kids, things like that, that was really uh, an important part of my life. Um, I started out wanting to be a singer. And uh, so, you know, that kind of translated for me. Plus, I loved the idea of an older woman confronting um, her life while she's trapped inside the place that she once loved Mm. um, and that she's now sort of being rejected by. Um, I mean, there aren't that many great, great roles for women in my age range. And to have a couple of really young guys from Connecticut write something that absolutely went to the heart of what it is to be a woman transitioning um, I hadn't gotten too many scripts like that from women. I hate to say you get a lot of moms. There's a lot of nuclear family stuff, uh, that I have received. I'm sure somebody else is getting something else, but, um, I had not gotten anything like this, a single woman who has lived her life for her own pursuits. Eric, We've mentioned the word transition a few times now, and you also it's also a movie about transformation as well. And the character of Amy, she really does undergo a journey of kind of like self-discovery. Um, what I found really interesting about it is you have the vampire element. You spoke about the whole aspect of having this story placed in the one, one setting, um, in the one profession of a radio host. What is it about that profession in particular that you think lends itself so well to this character development of transition and transformation? Um, I think that there's something so consistent about the idea of the radio host and even the late night radio host. There's a monologue early on and another monologue later that sort of is a direct line to my thoughts and feelings about this, about just hearing a voice in the darkness and feeling comforted by that and like not knowing it in many of the ways that you would know another person, but feeling an intimacy with it that you um that you don't with other people that you that you do feel the the, the common connections with so that has always been a very romantic strange cerebral love affair that i've that i've had um the idea of the voice in the darkness and the consistency of that and what that represents and what happens when that's just snuffed out um when somebody leaves and how when a serious finale happens or when somebody retires, how in some ways after investing 10, 20, 30 years in something, there's ultimately often some kind of apathy or it feels inconsequential, like the end of the Truman Show, like that, that however 10, 20 years it just cuts and the last line is like, what else is on? How it's how, how you can put so much into something like Caroline was touching on before and then it's just over. Mm-hmm. And how how can you have some, such an intimacy with something and then it's just over and nobody's talking about it anymore? And to me, that's in many ways the central horror of the movie. <laughs> Is there also an aspect of kind of like how technology kind of pushes these transitions forward? Um, in regards to the profession of Amy, the radio DJ seems to be 
kind of put on the wayside as podcasting and podcasters kind of come to the fore. And I'm not sure what type of ratio you ha- you both had in regards to interviews with radio people compared to podcasting people. But was there a certain aspect to that as, as, as well? Yeah, I, I think that this is, a, this is a through line in my work as well as this idea that old and new are not mutually exclusive and that innovation isn't synonymous with progress. And so that, that started with a TV show that I did like five years ago called The Cobblestone Corridor, but it definitely sneaks its way into everything that I do that... Uh, and in this movie too, in terms of like stages of grief, like letting go of what was and accepting what's going forward, but to what extent is that healthy? Like, yes, you have to do that in order to survive. And yes, like change is inevitable and there are good things that come from it, but how do you find the balance? Because if it's one or the other, if we lose radio completely, if we, if we lose it, like there, there, there is, there is something about keeping our roots maintained that is so very important. And that's something that I certainly try to advocate for too, with this movie. And even if in the terms of like, uh, the aesthetic of analog versus digital and how we go back and forth between aspect ratios and all, all those kinds of things. It's something that I think, uh, you know, maybe in a secondary way thematically with this movie, but like there's room for both. And I think it's important that we have both. And I think it's reflected also in the music and in the characters themselves, Amy and Sienna. Sienna's new. Sienna's cutting edge. She's young. She's hip hop. She's uh, rap. She's synth. She's all the new trends in music that are happening, whereas, you know, Aaron actually says at one point in the movie, that's what I like about you, Amy, you do it old school. And Amy doesn't see it as old school. Mm. You know, a lot of people do think rock is dead, metal is dead. You know, fans of those musical styles are seen as kind of retro. And I think that's reflected in the movie as well is obsolescence. Things constantly turning over, reinventing, becoming new, becoming fresh. And there's something to be said about, you know, living for the now, but there's also something to be said about, you can make the argument back in the day, and I know your listeners can't see the air quotes that I'm making, but I'm making them. <laughs> uh, things, people say sometimes that things were built to last and now things are built to break or be thrown away, that it is the daily rag that you can just throw in the trash versus yeah. something that is going to stand the test of time. And again, there's room for both, but I think that, the fact that Amy is hanging out to the stuff, it's because those things are lasting and that, that is important too. Caroline, before we did our interview for the last few days or so, I've been doing that Caroline Williams deep dive, listening to a lot of interviews that you had over the years. And it's really interesting to find that you yourself at the last several years went through your own kind of process of self-discovery. In one interview, I actually heard you say that you felt like you were reborn in a certain extent. Um, when you get a script like this and it touches on many of these kind of subjects and re- themes in regards to transition and transformation and, and to a certain aspect, and not to give away too much in regards to spoilers, but there's a certain aspect of this character being reborn in a certain way. How gratifying was it to you to be able to see a script like that and be able to portray such a thing that was so deeply personal to you in this character? You know, Amy, throughout the course of the movie, she is devolving. She is breaking down. She is deconstructing. And yet in my own life, um, just a few years ago, I made some pretty dramatic changes. My children were grown. Uh, I did want to get back into the business. Uh, I got a place of my own. And there's no sensation to rival that when you're my age. You know, I'm in my 60s now. That's when most people are slowing down, taking the big vacations, retiring. um, And I haven't been doing that. And <laughs> good for us. <laughs> it's, been, it's actually been dramatic. 
technically kind of crazy in the other direction. I know a lot of people aren't comfortable with it. A lot of women specifically are not comfortable with it. Um, but I felt like given the unique set of challenges and the unique new life that I was embracing, it gave my ability to play Amy a lot more credibility because I've already been where she's been. Um, and I, I understood every single moment of her story nearly effortlessly. Eric, what's really interesting about this film is that you have the one setting um, in, the, in the film, but you actually shot in an actual radio station. I actually read that the shooting now was a kind of crazy 5.30pm uh, to sunrise. Um, I'm curious in regards to, was that out of necessity because you are working in a living, breathing kind of like environment, like it is a radio station and you need to have time to film and you have to do that after everyone's done their stuff? Or is it deliberate on your part to kind of create a certain environment, especially in regards to the tone of the film and what the characters are going through? It started out of necessity because it is a living, breathing radio station. So we we walked in while they were leaving and we left as they were coming back. Um, necessity also because we were shooting overnights and there were many windows in there and we didn't have the uh, time or resources to black them out. And we have this rain machine that's outside the whole time. So it just, it just wouldn't have worked. But, you know, you're absolutely right, too. I mean, it ended up, at least for me, being a great gift because it's like sometimes the best stuff happens at 3.30 in the morning when you're yeah. not expecting it. And it's it's it really was amazing to live like vampires for a week and to feel what that was. And when Caroline landed, she landed a few days early, our, our adventures began. We, she got off the plane and she was energized and she said, I want to see the station. So we went to the station and we hung out there for a few hours and we walked the space and she got acquainted with it and we breathed it in and we, we immersed ourselves in that environment. And then we went to Walmart and went shopping and we stayed up till four. And then the next day we did it all again. We stayed up till five and the next day we stayed up till six and then we were shooting and we had acclimated to it. And, you know, it's, of course it comes with difficulties, but because we had transitioned into it, I felt that it was, it was, it was very energizing and it was really cool to be able to do that. Of course, you know, there are other times where, you know, you have to do night shoots and you're like, Oh my God, a night hmm. shoot. But this we had a really good time, and I think that the reality of it uh, influenced the the end product and what you're seeing on screen. I don't know, Caroline, would you agree? Or <laughs> I mean, I do agree. I've always believed that nighttime is such a mystical time, and it's such, you know, you can't see anything. And and we were creating something in the dark. And the the challenge of it is those circadian rhythms try to default back to their original positions, and it can make remembering lines and action and plus it's just it was such a distinctively different character from any Caroline Williams that anybody knows so I had an entirely different relationship with Eric than I've had with any of my other directors because I needed him to be there crafting and forming and creating my moments Amy's moments I I wanted to be Amy, the character, and not do the default settings that Caroline has and that yeah. people have grown familiar with over time. And um, that was also a big challenge. But he was always right there. He's either by the monitor or he was by the lens and talking to me, guiding me. I haven't had that experience in a very long time. And it brings um, into real sharp focus what I've been missing in a lot of the the 
things that I have done over the last couple of years. And I really think it really shows in on the screen because honestly, it is one of the best performances you've done, <laughs> and and it really is just a, such a terrific turn. Um, and I really I have to congratulate you in regards to that because it's just such thank you fantastic performance. Um, Eric, we are kind of undergoing a transition of our own right now, all of us, into a new world. Exactly what world we're going to inhabit at the end of all of this, what's going on right now, we don't know. I want to speak to you in, especially in regards to cinema or the cinema experience. I know you are an advocate for the cinema experience and you see cinema as sanctuary. That was a direct quote from the last time we spoke. Yeah. When this is all over... What do you think the cinema experience is going to be like? I mean, looking just from around the world, in the UK, you have certain cinemas that are temporarily shutting down different places in the US. I know, uh, Caroline, you're from California. I know the the industry has been especially affected over there. Um, Eric, what do you think is going to happen when this is all over? Are people going to be paying really just chomping at the bit to get back inside those cinema doors again or do you think with what how people are consuming a lot of the content these days streaming etc that maybe perhaps there has been a sort of a sort of getting i don't know a transition of their own of getting used to how they view their content these days i think in many ways we are in survival mode right now um, across the board, including how we're consuming content. And I say that again, as somebody, I'm sure I said this in the long last interview, as somebody who streams and there is a place for streaming and, I, and I'm and i all about it and it's great and, and the accessibility and it, it, but I will say my sincere hope and belief is that uh, we will not only return to form, people will have a deeper appreciation for what has been missing because I truly yeah. believe that as humans, we need and we crave communion with other people in all ways, including in consumption and discussion of art. And I don't even mean that in a lofty cerebral way, just in like getting together and everyone's heartbeats and breaths are synchronizing because we're being scared by the same thing. Right. That is vital. That is humanity. And that's what I want, want to keep creating. I know Carolyn wants to keep creating. I know the peers around me that I work with want to keep creating. And yes, there. I think it's a smaller subset that are going to be jumping right back into it. But I think as time goes on, people will become more and more aware of that urge that they just can't shake and shouldn't want to shake. And when people feel safe and when it is safe to do, I think people will just, you know, we need to be together. We need to mourn what has happened. We need to celebrate what we've overcome and we need to feel the full extent of our humanity again. And sometimes that can come with a, you know, streaming a thing at someone's house, but sometimes that means getting together with strangers, sitting in a room and going on an adventure. And I, I, I can't think that that's going anywhere because that's been ingrained in humanity since the mm -hmm. onset. Um, and to my point about old and new, not being mutually exclusive, like you can't improve on that. So why would we want it to go anywhere and why should it go anywhere? So I will always, always, always with safety in mind, uh, advocate for that whenever and however it is possible. And there is something very, very interesting, specific to 10 minutes to midnight is our distributor, as well as Eric and his brother Carson, aggressively fought to get us into traditional theaters yeah. across the middle of the country. In New York and LA, we weren't gonna be successful, but Arizona, their Harkins theaters, booked us into four of their indoor theaters. 
and we had multiple show times and people were going. And part of that is a necessity. Mom and pops and these smaller chains, smaller community neighborhood movie theaters, they want to stay in business. Yeah. And I think because the impact of the whole virus thing has been less in those areas of the country, uh, people are easier and more comfortable going back into a theater. I think the major cities, um, you know, will be a little more challenging. But um, I, the minute the ArcLight announces that they are going to start running movies, I'm going to be first in line. Of course. <laughs> And I will say too, we, I mean, we've we've been back around. Caroline's been here for a month, and we've mm-hmm. just been touring this movie around, and we've been going to screenings, and we've had amazing pop-up outdoor screenings. We got off one last night that was completely sold out. It sold out in eleven hours after it was announced. It was full of genre fans. We watched it on a gigantic forty-foot screen in the middle of a huge field with food trucks and rock music and signings and people. I mean, you could viscerally feel the electricity of that, and I. It, people needed that. I mean, it's like they were they were breathing again, and yes. it was it was magical. It was magical. Yeah, and there are drive-ins, the resurgence of drive-ins. Mm. Who would have thought that would ever happen? But they're back, and uh, ten minutes is going to be paired with Synchronic, um, which is a very a couple of filmmakers that are really amazing, um, and it's only fitting that we would be sharing the marquee with Synchronic and Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead in Indiana. So there's still more to come. I mean, there is still such avid, avid interest and it continues to grow. So for everyone out there listening, 10 minutes to midnight, available now in theatres across the US, virtual cinemas, 15th October. And also there is a video on demand and digital release that's going to come on in January, uh, 19th January to be specific, uh, whether it be in your cinema, at the drive through or online. I really, really recommend people check out this movie, especially now Halloween's coming up. This is a perfect Halloween movie. It's going to scare you. It's going to make you think afterwards as well, which is to me is a great double act right there. And uh, Caroline Williams, Eric Lucrist, I thank you guys very much for joining me today. Congratulations with the movie. So great. Uh, that you're out there really promoting your movie, especially in these days. It's great to have something out there to talk about, something to show to people. Uh, they need movies like this, something that will entertain them and something to make them think afterwards. And congratulations to you and um, to everyone out there. Please check out this film. Um, I really, really recommend it. Thanks, Thank Matt. you so much, Matthew.